This podcast was recorded in a Zoom meeting with the Hartford Street Zen Center Sangha. Please visit hszc.org for information about how to join our online programs or to make a contribution. We depend on the generosity of our members and supporters, especially during this challenging time. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Now we have our setup with um, a TV screen, so I can more or less see you guys. Unfortunately, I can also see myself, which I'd rather not do, but um, the uh, technical challenges uh, have defeated us for the time being. So I'll just try to ignore me also, we have some uh, uh, competition from a uh, local project, which is uh, show signs. Okay, right. utilizing a nasty two-cycle gasoline engine. So, fortunately, I think you guys can't hear it. But there's a a background drone of um, environment destroying activity. So it's not so quiet, I'm sorry. Yesterday, I, I talked about our ancestor, great ancestor and founder, Dongshan Yangjie. And um, I, I, um, I, was, I was telling Cheryl-san, once in a while, there, there is a talk, I give a talk, which in which I present something that seems particularly important to me. And um, yesterday, usually I can only tell that in retrospect. I can't plan on it. But uh, so yesterday turned out to be one of those talks. And unfortunately, the recording didn't happen. So <laughs> I will not be able to um, refer people to that talk. And as I'm sure you all realize, uh, something like a Dharma talk is not repeatable anyway. So uh, today, uh, I'll just sort of uh, pick up where I left off. Yesterday, we talked about the very important teaching of the insentient. Uh, pretty important story. Um, and I, I talked a bit about the um, kind of uh, laborious 
side of our practice. When it comes down to taking care of, you might say, all of the stuff that helps us in our life. Clo everything from clothing to eating and medicines and you name it. Periodically, it strikes me when I'm eating that this food is actually my life. And the uh, story involving our ancestor of the, the um, I don't know, I guess question whether or not something that is uh, conventionally regarded as insentient can, in fact, convey Buddha Dharma. And um, rather than attempt to answer that question, yes or no, I would refer you to the story and to um, the late William Powell's excellent translation of the Record of Dongshan, a slim, quite marvelous volume with uh, some very helpful footnotes. And the first story, basically, in that collection is about this question, teaching of the insentient, and one that either pursued our ancestor all over China, or he pursued, depending on how you look at it. And um, since then, I've been thinking about how it's actually, it's pretty difficult to live in a way that consistently acknowledges the, the life of insentient things. Yesterday, um, after dinner, uh, you know, our, our kitchen is, is not so big. And when there, when there's several of us in there, by pretty much basically, I mean more than one, there's kind of a lot of um, jockeying around that has to go on. And um, when the sink is occupied, basically there's a kind of a uh, queue that builds up, people wanting sink facilities. So I have my utensils in hand and someone was at the sink. And I thought, well, I, you know, I have other stuff to do. So I'm just going to, I kind of got as close as I could and sort of tossed my utensils into the sink with a clatter and the sound made me reflect on the fact that, oh, well, that wasn't quite ideal. Handling them that way did not acknowledge their life, did not um, engage the question of whether insentient objects teach Buddha Dharma. And so I, um, 
I'm kind of uh, confessing and repenting now and renewing my intention to live that way. At the same time, I acknowledge it's pretty hard, you know, it's pretty hard. There's so much stuff around. I sometimes go into my room and think, am I hoarding? This room looks like a hoarder's. They're not, there, aren't, there aren't piles of old newspapers, but there's a lot of other stuff in there. Most of it I don't want or need, and yet I also don't feel like I can't just throw stuff out. I just don't, that doesn't seem right anymore. So apart from things that can go directly into recycling or trash, there are various heaps of um, clothing that I can't use because I'm too fat, but maybe somebody else could, so I'm not going to throw them out. And so these things pile up and they, until they can be dealt with. So there's all this stuff around, and all of it merits bringing up this question. As I handle this, whatever it is, is the Dharma being taught? And in the... Uh, story of ancestor Dongshan running around China looking for some resolution to this question. Uh, we only know about two encounters he had, which I mentioned, one with the great Guishan Lingyo and the other with the man who had become Dongshan's teacher, Yunyan Tangshan. And neither of them, as you'll recall, said yes or no to that question. Um, when the question would come up for Dongshan and for others, uh, quite naturally, uh, if you look at the uh, assertions in the sutras, which suggest that the Dharma is constantly being taught everywhere and all times. People quite naturally ask, well, why can't I hear it? Oh, there's Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. And so uh, uh, twice in, in this story, our ancestor asks you know, a uh, great authority, why, why can't I hear it? And both times, the authority something like this. And says, can you hear it yet? And um, at least once, Dongshan goes for the easy answer, which is, nah, I can't hear it. And it's not so much that that answer is wrong, but it is, um, I don't know. There is a reluctance to engage 
a living question. And as it turns out, though, uh, on one of those occasions, when Dongshan was with his teacher-to-be, Yunyan, he, uh, he has some insight. And uh, I told you that the little poem, he says, I think, didn't I say that? He says, um, how, how remarkable. How wonderful, mysterious indeed, is the teaching of the insentient. Try to hear it with your ears. You fail. But heard with the eyes, then you understand. There's this funny little uh, delay. I see. <laughs> the person who looks like me on the screen here is making gestures slightly behind how I feel myself making gestures. There must be a deep teaching there. I'll have to think about that. So. It's our little dog coughing. You can hear that. So one way to describe our practice is it's a practice of hearing with the eyes. You could also say seeing with the ears, so forth. As we've learned elsewhere, the whole body is an eye, an ear, a nose, and so forth. This is not, you know, it's not just a teaching. I mean, it is that, but it's also a way of living. And uh, possibly when our ancestor encountered his teacher and they had that little exchange about the insentient, it was a, um, a moment when Dongshan's life turned and he could feel it happening. In that moment, his whole body 
was alive as an eye. So I've, I've uh, talked to some people recently and consistently, people reported a shared feeling that our practice was um, not one of, shall we say, rapid progress. <laughs> I, I think by rapid progress, quite reasonably, what is meant is that uh, after a reasonable amount of time, but whatever that would be, I'm not sure, but after a reasonable amount of time, the, um, the uh, roughness of our lives as sentient beings is somehow gone. And instead, we are, you know, we appear to ourselves and to all other beings as a perfectly polished gem. That'd be great, I admit. So my impression is that, you know, our, our teachers are often pretty often confronted with this, well, kind of complaint. And the response very often is something like, to remind us that we in fact, practice as a perfectly polished gem. We take our seat in Zazen or anywhere else as such a gem. And we uh, handle our silverware as such a gem. And we relate to other people. Even if we don't get to see the light of that gem, others see it. As the great master Yunman reminds us, you don't get to see your own light. If you try to look for it, it's dark. He, uh, and he, he asks, you know, and he's speaking to his community. Well then, 
what is this light that everyone has? And he doesn't say exactly what it is. He says, basically, your whole body is an eye. Many uh, spiritual traditions have this notion of a light that is somehow dark. My friend, Professor Robert Thurman, he doesn't know he's my friend. I only met him once, but he is. He, he's at some pains to explain that the, um, the, the very, very prominent teaching in Vajrayana Buddhism of the clear light of the void, the clear light of bliss, is not the kind of light that comes from point A and illuminates point B. It's not like that. Everything is that light. It is light that is somehow transparent. No source, no object. One thing that's called is light. Another thing is bliss. But those are just names. So to live in the spirit of these teachings is not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, believe me. I do say it's perfectly natural, but that's a little different. Something can be perfectly natural and not easy. Just watch a, uh, you know, a wonderful uh, ballet dancer or martial artist or painter or someone. Watch them work. It's perfectly natural. Isn't it easy? No. So our, our practice is one that calls forth kind of our great heart in response to this difficulty. And encourages us to say, well, you know what, just take, take one more step in that light. And no, you can't see it. Next time you put your utensils in the sink, don't throw them. Or maybe you have to because you're in reach of the sink and, and you have a, a, a sudden event called death. So 
So as you're going to drop them, drop them carefully. Drop them as though they were a light. As though your whole body could see. Eventually, you know, you know, I keep going back to Noam Shan. He is he's one of my favorite figures from the mysterious Tang Dynasty past China. And as you know, he uh, he left his teacher before he had what you might call a substantial awakening. Which is most of the stories they don't they don't run that way. Usually the uh, disciple has some experience while with his or her or their teacher. But this time, Lungshan, who was, I think, kind of a handful, left. And Yunyan, his teacher, knew that they would not meet again. So it wasn't until Dongshan left and traveled, goodness knows, some distance If you go to his temple, which is still functioning in China, unfortunately, I haven't been, that's not one that I was able to visit, but um, the story is that he was crossing a stream after he had left the monastery. And there's apparently at the foot of the uh, mountain, there's a stream and they put up a sign saying, oh, this is the stream right here, which, Personally, I think it's a little unlikely. Anyway, Dongshan uh, was crossing a stream and saw his face in the water. And uh, that was a moment, this, this simple everyday event was a moment of a great turning. the exact instant I said that, the nasty little motor cut out. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dr. Young would say, yeah, synchronicity, there it is. Anyway, a lot of our ancestors apparently were, uh, you know, active poets. So like, you know, at the drop of a hat, they'd come up with a poem. So, when uh, Dungshan beheld his face in the water, and um, I don't know, I don't know what happened. Things stopped, something like that, for a moment. He came up with a little poem. 
And I've suggested before to some people that that poem contains a lifetime of practice. I, uh, I don't think I've been able to sell anyone on that yet. There was one guy at Green Gulch when I was there, and for a while I thought he bought it. Or at least he was telling some other people that I'd said that. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, somebody will pick up on that. Anyway, the poem, um, uh, very short. I think it's uh, as many of these poems are like four lines of five Chinese characters. And Chinese is quite remarkable in how much meaning you can cram into a few little squiggles. Um, anyway, Dongshan's poem is uh, something like, uh, he says, uh, Uh, strive earnestly not to seek outside. Um, lest you go far astray. Uh, I travel on alone now. But everywhere I go, I meet it. Um, it is now no other than me. but I am not it. It must be understood this way to merge with true suchness. So that was his poem. Had to uh, commemorate the great event. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that. Uh, well, I was going to say. I wouldn't call that poem straightforward, except in a way it is very, pardon me, my nose is running again. But um, it's, it's uh, bound to sound kind of tricky. What does he mean? Now it is no other than me. 
but I am not it. This uh, thing, whatever, that he meets everywhere he travels alone. He says, you know, this is important. Sometimes, sometimes, um, you know, people might have some, uh, you know, what they feel is a pivotal moment. And next thing you know, they're kind of, um, ironically, they've kind of pasted themselves over the whole world. Sort of like, okay, I am now Mr. Universe. Bow down, everyone. That does happen. But the Buddha Dharma contains powerful remedies against such distortions. For instance, the teaching that no matter where I go, there's only this. The only I that exists is this. There is no other. So he says, that is the, I don't know, song of true suchness. Because there may be other suchnesses. But we're taught not to settle for other than the real one. One that no matter where we go, we meet. So I guess uh, I will throw that out there again as a possible um, uh, roadmap for a life of practice. And that uh, poem resonates 
throughout the body-mind of Zazen. Well, the, the, the nasty motor just came back on, so maybe that's my signal that I, am, I, have, I have tried your patience enough. So uh, this is uh, our last uh, full retreat day to spend with one another. Tomorrow we'll uh, assemble again in the morning and uh, I guess I have to give another talk and then we'll end with the Bodhi Day ceremony, celebration of Buddha's enlightenment. That'll be that. Also, uh, this evening, uh, ordinarily, we have a period of, of zazen at, at 6 p.m. And uh, tonight, maybe uh, we'll, we'll sit a little while, and then uh, we'd like to do a, this thematic um, metta meditation, loving-kindness meditation that I was taught and that I can share with you. So that'll be at six tonight. Meanwhile, are there any questions or comments? I can actually see you guys at this point. So. Kato's uh, on? Just uh, wonder if you have an answer. My cat Bodhicitta can't stop sitting uh, and joining us for Zaza. Can't hear you yet. We can't hear you, Kato. And he's not and muted. I'm not muted. Are the speakers. You know what? These speakers aren't on. Yeah, yeah Kato, I can hear you fine. Are the speakers plugged in. No. I'd see the yellow going around me. Yeah. Well, maybe that's another signal from the universe that uh, I should just shut up. Can someone else just try to unmute and speak? Yeah, Ronson, will you say something? See if we can hear you. Yes, I like that poem and I'm hoping that I, you can't hear me? Well, sorry, we're, we're having technical difficulties. Oh, Ron, so, I can hear you fine. We can try. Yeah, it's just there. Uh, yeah, let's let's not do that now. Let's figure out what's wrong later. Um, anyway, if, if if you have questions, you can turn them into little four-line poems, and you can send them to me in email or. Maybe we can try again tomorrow. See if we can get everything working. Oh, Cato in the chat has said, my cat 
bodhicitta can't get enough retreat and thoughts. Why do you think this is so? Ah, well, because there's an old saying, uh, cats and cows know it is. That's why. If anyone has a pressing question that they want to add into the chat, we can answer your question or- Actually, you know, I think I'd like to stop now. So we'll try again tomorrow. And in the meantime, please, please enjoy your gem-like life. Appreciate others' radiance and let others appreciate your, your own. Oh, I can answer it. There's an easy question. Uh, uh, Ransan, that, that poem is in the record of Dongshan. Uh, that's the title of the book. The, the translator is the late William Powell. And you can probably find it remaindered here and there. Thank you very much.